Welcome to Men Are Nuts, a podcast about mental health, psychological health, physical health, awareness in men, women and society. First it started with man, the acronym for Men Are Nuts. And we have a very special guest on the show for you today. Can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Mel Thomas. I'm a serving police sergeant with Leicestershire Police. Mel, serving police sergeant. And, and how's your day been today? Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I've had quite a nice start. I always like to start with some physical exercise. So I've been in my gym at home, a bit of rowing, a bit of uh, cycling on my watt bike. And then I've been working from home, obviously, because of the COVID restrictions, we've reduced the number of uh, staff in the office. So so we can have uh, an extra member of staff in the office at headquarters. I'd work from home. Right, okay. So, because so, some, sometimes we forget, you know, before, I, before, you know, I just mentioned this, sometimes we forget that some of these restrictions is not just allocated to the people in a sense or the public, it's, it's, it's other areas. So even some, something like the police force, it's actually affects, it affects that as well. Absolutely. I'm, I'm in a training role now, so I'm in charge of physical training. So my department run the dominated fitness test, first aid, personal safety training, which is obviously safety training. We also deliver taser training as well. So because of that, we have to have so many people actually on those training events, but that means that they have to be in the office. But the restrictions obviously impact on us as well because our training is face-to-face. So taser training, for instance, you have to instruct the individuals how to point the taser, switch the taser on, fire the taser, etc, etc, etc. So what we've done, we've had restrictions put in place with a a risk assessment. So all attendees wear masks, there's hand sanitizers, there's obviously the obvious um, social distancing and regular hand washing. Right, okay, so that's that's very interesting because I spoke to somebody who was a first responder as well the other day um, on the podcast. And there's similar things happening there, um, albeit it's a you know it's a different role. So it's, it's you know, um, so let's let's talk about where where you're where you are now. Where you know you're in Leicester. Can you let the, the listeners know where is Leicester in terms of the UK? Leicester is, and you'll hear the term Midlands. So we are the East Midlands, and we are actually near enough in the, in the centre. Of, of the country. So Leicester's about 100 miles away from London. Uh, it's a very diverse community in Leicester. It's one of the most diverse, if not the most diverse city in the country. Uh, the, the, the nice thing about Leicester, and I'm, I'm proud of being from Leicester, yeah. is the fact that of, one, it's so diverse, but two, it was one of the, the, uh, the main places that uh, people from where I originate from, Antigua, actually based themselves when they came to the UK during the Windrush, and it had one of the biggest um, population numbers of Antiguans in the country. Wow, I did not know that. That's, that's fascinating news there. So you're, you're Antiguan. Have you, have you been back there? Have you ever, you know, been back and yeah. forth? Yeah, yes, I've been. I've been back quite a few times. In fact, COVID stopped us going back yeah. um, for our next trip, but we will go back hopefully at some point next year and catch up with my relatives there and, and catch up with friends that have left Leicester and, and live in between Leicester and and um, Antigua. So Emil Heskey, his parents live between uh, Leicester and Antigua. Yeah. So hopefully, I'll be able to catch up with them at some point. Wow, fascinating. 
like I said, a massive influence on, on the Windrush generation of um, Antiguans coming to, to you know, to to. I, I know, I know, Jamaicans used to, and and that's a lot of the Caribbeans used to go to. Is it Southampton Port and then down south yeah. Bournemouth as well? So yeah, it's interesting yeah. that they've gone yeah. in inland to 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 Leicester. Um, yeah. You're Leicester born and bred. Are you are you a, a fan of football or or you know? Because I remember Leicester winning the Premiership, but people would know a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, the five, the famous five thousand to one <laughs> yeah. Leicester City. I'm not actually a huge football fan. Uh, I will watch football whenever it's on, but I don't follow it. Yeah. Um, however, what I did have was, and it was an absolute sort of privilege, was to work. Uh, near most of the games of that season, wow. I worked the victory victory parade through Leicester, which attracted two hundred and fifty thousand people. Yeah. And then, uh, and then on top of that, I had the privilege of working every Champions League game at the stadium. So wow. you can imagine the actual atmosphere of uh, such a large event. It was, it was for me one of the pinnacles of my career. Yeah, fantastic. And, and I know Leicester is quite connected to. It's one of the places that kind of connects the Midlands in a sense. It's not to say Birmingham's the biggest city, but Leicester kind of connects it because um, I think it's quite Birmingham's kind of central. But yeah, Leicester just connects it because it's got the mass. It's it's big, isn't it, Leicester? It's got the green yes. fields. It starts. It starts to get Leicestershire, um, yes, and Loughborough and, and Loughborough University yeah. and things like that. So it's it's quite a big place. Um, so let's yes, talk. Yes. Let's talk about you and and growing up in Leicester and what was life like for you growing up in Leicester? Leicester was great. Um, I can't knock Leicester as it was when I grew up. It was it was a diverse city. Um, it was it was quite fun. Obviously, uh, we were really sporty at school, so we used to go all over the county playing school school sport, yeah. um, and we were well supported in that by the schools itself. And we had, you know, to, to be fair to us, back, back back in those days, we had great mentors um, in relation to sports as well. It, there wasn't a lot of um, unrest in Leicester, really. Um, everyone lived with, with everybody else. After when you used to go out of the county, things were, were quite different. So once you really went past Loughborough um, in one direction, or you went through Melton in another direction, things would slightly change. Uh, there was racism. I can't can't deny that. I would never deny that. Uh, but in the main, in the city, everybody lived together, and it was it was it was just a great place to grow up. Yeah, yeah, and um, you you spoke about you know a little bit there about racism. You know, when you did you start to get out out of the county or out of the city much later in your life, or was it much was it when you were younger as a as a child or? Oh, we used to get out. Uh, uh, yeah, when we were younger, we used to get out of the county because we used to play football. So when you played in the county league, you'd come out to. El Shilton, you'd go to Barwell, you'd go as far out as Moira, the other way you'd go to Market Harborough. So you went all over um, to play county football in, in, in the league, and it was it was just great fun. But as 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 I say, when you'd be if you were doing well, or you know if you were beating a team, um, there would be things that would come out from either the players or people on the sidelines, and it was it was unfortunate. And you'd have people say, "Well, it's part of the game." Well, well no, it's not. You know, and it, it was just one of those things which you, you know, you had to, you had to cope with. You never get used to it because it's so hurtful, but yeah. you had to cope with it. And back then, there wasn't the support networks in place that if somebody did make a racist remark, you could report it to the police because it wasn't an offence. Yeah. 
Yeah. What was your What was your before we kind of speak about more about your your childhood? What was your first experience? Would you say um, coming across racism? In a sense, what was your first experience? My first one was at primary school when my sister used to get called chalky by the uh, <laughs> by the PE teacher. And I remember. Everyone thought that was great. But, you know those kind of things. You know, you you kind of go, well, why are they calling her chalky? And then you realise, oh, it's chalk ice. And then there were other things, you know, um, that would, um, you know, people would make monkey noises. You know, and you were just like, wow, you know, and it was, as I say, it was just, teachers would just say, oh, just, you know, just ignore them. But it, it wasn't a case of just ignoring them, it should have been dealt with. Um, and it was it was never dealt with back then. I like to think now, and I, and I know I've got two, two children that are, are still at school. You know, I know that when they report things, they are dealt with. And if they're not, then, you know, I will go into the school and, and challenge that. So it was quite early in my life. Um, and then when, whenever it did happen after that, I would challenge it. Yeah, yeah, and um, it's funny, I'm laughing there because I just recall things like, um, I remember hearing at primary school things like chalk ice and, um, um, what is it, black ice cream and stuff like that. And, and yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm laughing now because it's thinking, but you just, when you, when you look at those memories and you think, gosh, how, how, how things happen, and that was at a time where there was, you know, like you say, it's almost like the first generation of um, the, the people coming over from the wind, Windrush. Um, what was what yes. was what was that? Did you do you ever hear any stories from your parents about what what life was like about when they came first came over? Oh, absolutely. Because my parents didn't want us to have to go through what they went through. Yeah. So you've probably heard or seen the signs where it was no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Yeah. So like that um, I always remember a story my mum um, used to tell us say they went to look at a, a new house uh, because they, they didn't want us to grow up in the area where, where we were at the time because uh, it was becoming quite run down so my mum was pregnant with me she had my, my sister in the um, in the pram and she had my brother uh, walking at the side and it, it was um, snowing and it was icy and she fell over in the ice um, she got to the house um, and the woman pointed at the back door. So she went round to the back door and the, and, and the, and the owner of the house said, I'd really love to allow you in to see the house, but the, the neighbours would never forgive us if we sold to someone who was black. Wow. And those kind of things, you kind of, in my time, you kind of go, well, that would never, ever be allowed to happen. Yeah. But that, they're the kind of things that happen. Um, you know, and you just, you just wonder um, how they coped, but they did. They they were resilient. They yeah. they they basically nothing like that happened, and they carried on. Yeah. You know, and so things like that. You know, I could tell you many stories of that kind of thing, but they kept going. Yeah, because they were resilient. Yeah, it's funny. Again, I keep hearing that word. That's probably the fifth um, show in the ro- in the in the in a row, and it doesn't matter where where the person's come from. The, that word, the R word, the resilient, it keeps coming up. It keeps that word keeps cropping up. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a woman, man, or whether, you know the background. That word keeps coming up, and like you said, there's, there's, even in that instance, there, they, they showed, um, and it would have been. I mean, in the back in those days, you know, the racism would have been, um, well, as, as you can see, as you said, by the notice, 
not just the notices, but just the things that people said or the way they were looked at. It must have been really hard for, um, uh, but they still kept going. Uh, my mum's Jamaican, you know, coming over here and stuff like that. And, you know, it, it must have been hard for them. Um, and I think where I'm going with this is, it's kind of building up a picture of how you became you, how you became, what, what as a child, what did you want to be? Yeah. And, I, and, and I think you have to be realistic in because some people will say, oh, no, well, you can be whatever you want to be. But yeah. I think it's like anything. If you want to run as fast as Usain Bolt, you just can't run that fast. You have to accept you can't run as fast as he can. Yeah. And I, 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 I realised that I just did not have the, the mental capacity to retain information and, and, and understand and learn um, continuously. Yeah. I was more a physical person. I, I like doing physical things, and I, I quickly realised I'm more akin to doing physical work. Um, so I pushed a lot of my um, my drive into athletics and sports and things like that. So I ended up playing things like basketball, doing a lot of roller skating, playing American football, um, and then I applied for the police. So basically, I um, I used to do a lot of roller skating, American football. Yeah, boxing, things like that. And then I applied for the post office. Um, I became a postman yeah. because I didn't get into the police the first time. And I just thought I needed a good, responsible job. And then I delivered the post to the recruitment office and my form was on top of a pile of forms. And they said, why don't you reapply? So I reapplied and, and the rest is history. Yeah. So 29 years later, um, yeah, I'm still there. So what made you, what, made, what, what was it that made you want to you said you wanted a job and you wanted a stable job, but what what was it about the, the police force and you that attracted that that you of being a police officer? Is it um, justice? Because I can hear from what you said before to do with you, maybe some of the connection there to do with your mum or like you know is it is it like social justice? I don't know. Maybe something in you. There's a bit of um, there's a bit there is a bit of that. I think a lot of it was just doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I I got stopped in my car 20 times in six months yeah. when I was a youngster. I, I, and, I, and I honestly had, wasn't doing anything. I'd be driving down, down the road in my car, I'd get stopped. Yeah. Well, and, I, and in the end, I used to carry my driving license, my insurance, and my MOT with me. Because I just got to the point where it was just like, why do you keep stopping me? You know, yeah. there's nothing wrong with my car. The brake lights are working, the headlights are working. Okay, so you, you, you have the right to stop a vehicle, you can stop any vehicle. Uh, you know, but why have, why have I been stopped so often? So I used to hear a lot of people complain about the police, and you can't change the system unless you're in the system. Yeah. And my friend's aunt was a police officer. She was in recruiting, and she said, "We need people like you. We need people that you know are are strong-minded, strong-willed." And, and I was like, I "Don't really want to be a cop." You know, all my all my friends were give me a load of grief about it, I'd probably lose friends and everything else. And in the end, I actually thought, I'll have a look at it. So I had a look at it. At the same time, I had a look at the army. I walked into the army recruitment office in Leicester. They looked at me like I was a piece of rubbish. Uh, basically told me I was too tall to do some of the things that I wanted to do, so I walked out. And then I went to the Leicester Carnival. I went to the Leicester Carnival in, in 1990. There was a recruitment stand there. And my friend's aunt was there. And she gave me the form. She says, tell you what, let's fill it out now. So we filled out the form, 
and that was it. And uh, 1991, I joined. Wow. So that's really, really why I joined because you can't change it unless you're in it. Yeah. And, you're, and, and it's, I suppose that's one of the things you know I'd like, and, and it's not my community. I just like black people to do in general. If we're going to change things, we have got to start thinking differently, and we've got to start thinking. If we're not in the system, we can't change the system. We're always going to be on the outside of the system. And I know there are so many talented, talented individuals out there that could make chief constables, superintendents, commissioners, but they have got to take that step and they've got to be willing to say, I want to make a change. I'm willing to step up. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's and that's exactly what I, I was going, because I could hear you, hear you at the beginning what to do with your mum, because quite often... Um, we can talk, I mean, I'm going to speak from a black perspective, um, and, you know, and it could be any mum, any colour anyway, but I'm speaking from this perspective in the sense of um, my mum having five of us, and I always wanted, and I always wanted to do something, not not to just to make her, make her feel proud, but just that thing of knowing that the struggles that she went through to, to, to bring us up, um, and not to be this person who's, who... Who, who, because it's quite easy for us to turn to, it was quite easy for us to turn to crime. Growing up in inner city Nottingham and, and things like that, it's yeah. quite easy. Five of us, three, two, three boys, I've got an older brother. <laughs> I remember my brother telling me a story about how um, he went into a shop and the police officer, and he, and he was walking around the shop just looking, and the police officer was following him and he was walking around <laughs> and um, and he and he sort of he, he kept was looking looking and said, "Why's the police officer?" And he turned around and he found out. He asked the police officer why he was following him. He says, that, "Oh, we'd like you to recruit you in the in the police force because you you, you know you're tall, like black man." Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And he hasn't got, he hasn't he didn't go into it, but he's ended up now as a, he's a teacher now. So now, obviously he's mm-hmm. doing things to try and help, um, you know, because he turned into basketball. He was a basketball for actually for Leicester Riders. He played for Leicester Riders in basketball um, years back and so what happened was he, he became a teacher he's a teacher now so yeah I can de- I totally get what, you, what you're saying there is um, and so for you, you you the stars are aligned then because like you said you, you've come to the stall and, and uh, you know the fest, at, the, at the carnival and you were recruited what what was it like for you to be to kind of go from you know, they call it a civilian, but, per, you know, yeah, civilian, whatever you want to call it, person that's not in the police force to somebody who's in the police. What what was that kind of transition like for you? It was quite interesting because I was I was playing for the Leicester Riders, funny enough, at the time. Oh, did you? <laughs> yeah, I was playing, in 1990, I was playing for the Leicester Riders then. Um, I got into the police and then 1991 when I started, I then... Um, I knew I wouldn't have the time to be able to play anymore, so I had to um, give up playing for the riders. Yeah. Um, so once people found out I I was joining the police service, and it was quite they made quite a thing of it in, in the press and everything else. Um, it was quite interesting because there were some people that stopped talking to me. Um, you know, why have you joined the police? Why have you become police? Why have you done that? Um, so I, I did feel that a bit to be honest, because I didn't know, I, I remember having a conversation with a group of people, I said, well, what what did you want me to be? What do you, you know, you know what what do you feel I should do? Would you would you prefer, if I was a criminal and I turned to crime, you'd treat me completely differently than if, because I've become a police officer. Yeah. I don't understand. 
um, you know, you wouldn't treat me like this if I was a criminal. Yeah. Um, so I suppose it was fighting mentality, the thought process of people, why why they thought that way, why it was such a bad thing to be a, be a cop, to be quite honest. Yeah. So the, the, the change was quite interesting. My parents were scared. They, they were more scared because of how I get treated. Um, so they were always skeptical of, of how things would be, especially from how what how they'd seen people treated um, during yeah. the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And then my, 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 my siblings, again, they were just worried. They were more worried because of, again, how they'd been treated, stopped in cars, spoken to, seen how people were spoken to by police officers. So it was really difficult. There was, I would say, probably a real difficult sort of five, ten, first five, ten years. Um, were quite difficult yeah. and then things got easier um, things got easier um, I, I then turned to be, I was playing American football I was doing a lot of boxing and then I suppose again the organisation used that profile to put a, 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 a positive role model out there yeah. um, that is a police officer and things started did start to turn around considerably in the noughties um, and after that things became really easy um, you know, especially in the community, I, I can go to community events, I, I attend community events, uh, I attend schools, I help individuals that want to get into the organisation, and it's and it's warmly welcomed. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it it is it is something that I know that we have a history, and you have to acknowledge that there is a history. But what we can't do is continuously look back on what's happened. Because if we keep looking back, we'll keep tripping over the opportunities in front of us. We yeah. won't see what the future holds for us, won't see the present and deal with what we've got now. And that's what we've got to start doing, especially from from, from, from the black community. We have got to look at how can we make things better? And actually, how do we make things better? By having more positive role models out there and getting people into positions that they can make a difference. Yeah. So you, you would have seen both ends of the spectrum then? The police officer <laughs> actually followed me onto the driveway, he slapped the top of the car, he was enraged that he didn't get to stop me on the road because once I'm on the driveway, so my parents said I had to go to the police station to make a complaint. It was quite ironic that I joined the organisation and, oh, who was one of the officers that I met? The same sergeant that had pulled me over. So you could see the look on his face of, oh my gosh, it's him, he's in the police. Wow. And I just looked back at him and went, yeah, I'm here and I ain't going anywhere. So it's, it's, as I say, it's a case of not being deterred. It's a case of, you know what, you, you can always go down the line of, I'll never achieve, you'll never achieve, or they'll never, you know, that person will never come to anything. But it's down to you. You write your own script in life. You, you, you write your own story. And even when I've been back to school reunions, it's quite funny. I've, I've gone back to school reunions and the teachers have said, you're a police officer, aren't you? We never thought you'd become a police officer. Yeah. And that's what it's about, about changing narratives. You can change your own narrative, it's up to you. Yeah, definitely. And that goes, back, that goes hand in hand with what we were saying earlier about, you know, it's quite easy, you know, to get involved in the wrong crowds and, and you know, turn to all the things that can really lead to damaging people's lives, not just your life, but other people's lives. Um, when really there's things in front of us that we could we could be doing um, if we change our mindset. Um, and so you've seen you've seen both sides of the thing. You've been on this side and you've you've been on that that side. And you've 
but also not just that you've seen it in different um time zones so you would have seen it in the 90s or noughties noughties where it is where racism would have been a bit more and then times have got easy so you've seen you've seen it from so many different perspectives as a black man yeah yeah absolutely and you know i even had this i had a conversation with a with a, a student officer this week and our student officers are people that come through in a different system so they basically acquire their 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 qualifications so they go through the system itself and he do some quite derogatory comments in relation to different um, ethnic groups. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly feel that he had or has got um, what's called unconscious bias. So basically that the way he's been brought up, that the values and the sort of beliefs that he has are, are basically what were taught to him as a child, especially the comments that he's made, attitudes, beliefs and behaviours. So to, to refer to the corner shop in that derogatory term is something that they're always doing. That was just what they said. To go for a meal made by someone of uh, an oriental uh, background is again a derogatory term they've made because that's what they've always done because that's, that is the type of behaviour and, and vocabulary that they use. But as I said to him and I made clear to him, that vocabulary is not, it's not acceptable, whether it's up north or down south or in the middle. It's, it's not acceptable vocabulary and, 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 and that is the spectrum of what I've experienced all the way through from like the 70s, 80s, 90s and through because you know that that was the way people people spoke that's yeah. the, 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 the attitude the behavior people had and you're, you've got grandparents that have brought kids up you've got those kids that are bringing their kids up now and it's about whether or not people are willing to educate their children and say, I know granddad used to say that, but that behaviour is not acceptable now. So it's about breaking that down and making sure that that does not, that those behaviours do not carry on. Yeah. And what, you know, in, in the police, when you joined, what, have you, what was your first, if, if you've had, well, say if, well, we're going to say for the listeners if, rather than you did. What was your first experience of inadvertent or advertent racism? And did it did it, <laughs> did it take you back or did it shock you or did it come to a point where you thought, um, I don't really want to be here or what, what, how did it affect you? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, when, 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 when I first joined, when I first actually, day one at headquarters, I have to accept that because I was, I was six months more at the time, I was, about 19, 20 stone, I played a lot of open football, I just stopped playing basketball. So I was quite tall, quite physically um, big. I wouldn't say I used the word intimidating because I think that's that's unfair to, because you can't change your appearance. You are, you are as you are. Um, so you walk into a room, you're, 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 people will obviously look at you. And, but you will know as well as I do. When you walk into a room, people look at you in a way that make the hair stand up on your neck, that make you feel uncomfortable. And that is that difference. That's that. Oh. And the first couple of weeks were at headquarters and it, 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 was, it was going okay. I then went to the old training school at Coventry and we, they used to play cricket. Uh, against the, the village, so we'd all the, the, the courses were. You want to play cricket? You put your name down. You go out and take the minibus and you go and play cricket against the village team. 
So we're all sat there. I'm waiting to go into bat. And the trainer turns around to me, looks at me and he says, so, what do you want to be called? Black, darky, or by your name? So I just looked at him. And I thought, this is 1991. Did he really just say that? So the whole team looked at him. And I said, well, call me what you like, just don't call me late for dinner. Oh, right. So anyway, by the time we got back to the training centre, they'd already made a complaint. So the next day I was sat in class and the, the commandant who used to run the centre, the superintendent, asked to see me. So I was told to go to his office. I went to his office and he basically said, I've been informed that a comment was made at the, 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 at the cricket match last night by uh, I need a full statement from you um, in relation to the circumstances. All right, okay, sir. So I did my statement. At that time then, it was it got to week five and that sergeant was, was, had been sent back to force. Um, so the next five weeks passed. I went back to my force to do five weeks in company as it used to be. And then you went back to the training centre for your final five weeks. Yeah. I went back. Um, on, when I was going back, my, my training sergeant at Leicester said, oh, we've been told about this incident that, um, that happened at training school. Are you okay? You know, we need to make sure you're okay. You know, we don't want you to leave, etc., etc." And the welfare was really good. I went back to training school and the commandant had summoned that sergeant back to training school to basically explain what he'd said, why he'd said it, and apologise. So that was really my first experience of racism. I hadn't even had sort of three months in the organisation. Yeah. And, you know, and there were a lot more. There were so many situations where, you know, it happened. But again, it's all about going back to that R word, go back to that resilience. It's all yeah. about being resilient because it would have been very easy to walk away and say, I walked away because of that. But I wasn't willing to walk away. I, I didn't walk away. And I know the first female, black female police officer actually left the organisation at training school because of racist comments. Well, that's a loss, you know? It's just, it's, it's just a tragedy that that, that that should happen. And that's a, a real blot on our history. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and like you say, the, the, that hard work keeps cropping up. Um, so you, because I was going to go on, you know, go back on that, that another time, but because um, I was thinking about the McPherson report and how they said years ago that racism, and then we've come forward to this BLM movement and all that sort of stuff. So before we kind of go on to that little bit there, so you've, you've faced it. Um, um, was there any time during those formative years, those early years, or even subsequent since then, that you kind of struggled, not struggled, but you can say struggled, but mentally to kind of deal with a certain situation, whether it's racism or whether it's your first call out. Because quite often we see police officers and we just see them as as this person, it's called them the boys in blue. Um, and we don't see the other side because I've spoken to police officers and, and when we start to look at the other side where some of them have struggled with with mental health, PTSD and, and they, you know, we don't often see the things that police officers are actually called out to traumas, you know, traumatic events. It's not just, oh, they're there to arrest you. They, they actually call out to, you know, there's some police officers who have to go and speak to a parent to let them know that this has happened or this happened to the child. What was that first kind of experience like for you? Yeah, it's, it, the, the 
the organisation back then, then they tried to embrace you for things like that. So we'd go to mental health hospitals, so we got used to mental health patients and individuals. We'd go to the undertakers because some people, before they joined the organisation, had never been seen a dead person. Yeah. And as as you might be might, might, might be aware, in the black community, most black funerals will have an open casket. Yeah. So I had, I had been to funerals where I'd seen, you know, um, dead relatives and dead friends and things like that. So I'd actually seen, uh, you know, a dead person before that. Um, and you, you're completely right. It's it's that it's those things that you're exposed to that people don't understand. Because if you're a soldier, you know you're going out to war. You know yeah. potentially you might have to kill someone, or you might see somebody that's been killed or seriously injured next to you. You know they are the pitfalls of war. You know that's that's what they're all. That's what it's about. So with an ambulance driver, you're going out to treat someone who is ill. You know that. When you're a police officer, if there's a fire, you go to a fire. If there's a road traffic accident, you go to a road traffic accident. If there's someone having a mental health breakdown, you go to that. If there's somebody who's passed away and, the, and you've got to go and deliver the death message, you've got to go to that. So we are everything to everybody. We have to do everything. And you're completely right about the mental trauma. I think it was quite weird because I'd seen, um, you know, very early in my career, I'd seen people that had, had died in, in real sad circumstances in a house fire, sudden death, so someone's passed away at home, you know, things like that. And I remember the first thing that actually affected me was uh, a, a nine-month-old baby that had been left in a flat because the mother was a drug addict. Yeah. And she'd left the baby with no food, obviously, no, no one else there, and she'd gone out to school and she was a prostitute. So they um, effected an entry into the flat and they'd removed the baby with social services. And they brought the baby back to, to, the, to the station. And I had a nine-month-old daughter at the time. And I, I looked and, I, and the hair was all matted. And, you know, and I remember just put my arms out and I held and I was like, how could someone do that? That affected me more than anything else that I'd seen in that sort of yeah, yeah. first nine months of service. It was that... It was that kind of thing. Why would someone leave someone so small and defenseless and helpless, um, you know, on her own? And I could and, and, and I couldn't get my head around that. But you're completely right about the, the mental health um, thing and, 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 and struggling with, with things. And I think none of that kind of stuff affected me. Actually, what affected me was how I was treated when I was covering another force. I was covering Northamptonshire yeah. because I covered two forces and I just basically faced out and out racism um, from individuals in that force. Um, they they were obstructive, they basically tried to make my life difficult. Um, even though senior management were asking for things to be implemented, they tried to make that difficult. And then my senior manager at the time used a comment, well he's bad for business and was going to move me. It's only the fact that the the police federation got involved that I wasn't moved. And, and my mental health really struggled through that time. Yeah. I was waking up at night, I up in cold sweats. I, you know, my, my blood pressure had rised and I could only control it with just doing more exercise. So I just threw myself into more exercise yeah. because I could see the effect it was having on me. And, and I think it was that. People, like as you said, people think police officers are robots. They think we have no feelings, we're emotionless, we just do the job. But we are, we are people. Um, 
So, so yeah, it wasn't the, the the sort of the everyday stuff of policing that affected me. It's not understanding why my colleagues were treating me in the way that they were treating me. That that that's affected me more than anything since I've been in the organisation. Yeah, and and like I say, this you know quite a common theme. A common theme on this on on you know what I'm kind of picking up from people is, and like you said, then you're you're. <laughs> We often use they often use these words like intimidating and things like that. You're a six foot six foot four black man. Um, you played sports, you played American football. You're a big guy, and all of a sudden, because we often look at mental health as this thing where we're all mental health, but when something affects that mental health, it can affect anybody, no matter what, how. If you're six foot four or black, or and like you said, you had so many different um, things come at you. You know, you had your upbringing and then um, things at school and and then now you join the police force you had this traumatic circumstances but one of the main things that affected you was was racism um, it kind of how and you said you threw yourself into because I always speak about coping mechanisms so your coping mechanism was a sport then mm. thrown into yourself yeah. and athletics and, and that occupied me because you know that the more you throw yourself into it, and, and not to the point where it's excessive, excessive yeah. but the more you, you throw yourself into it, the healthier you are. Yeah. And so it was, it was activity, it was diet, it was nutrition, it was all that kind of stuff. So that's that's what I threw myself into. That's what I occupied myself with, making sure that I stayed healthy, making sure that I stayed active. Circumstances, things, and why people are behaving the way they are. And I very, very quickly came to the conclusion, you cannot control what other people do. You can only control your own circle. You can only control your own behaviours. Yeah. So, and that's what I did. I just controlled everything that I did. Yeah. And as a, as a, as a man, did you, was there anybody close by that you were able to speak to or did you not seek help or you just, you kind of dealt with it yourself? Myself, for, for, you know, dealt with myself. Um, my current partner's helped me with a lot of um, things as well because she's a she's a manager as well. So we, you know, we've talked through things and everything else, and and, and mentors in the organisation as well because um, there's there's things that you don't understand why people make the decisions they do, and sometimes it's from a from a senior management perspective they look at things differently from how you look at them because they're in a different position and they will always have a different perspective. But when you speak to them and they say there's no reason why those decisions should have been made, you then have to start questioning, well, why are they made? Yeah. Why are they people behaving in that way? And I know you alluded to it earlier in relation to McPherson, um, in relation to race and equality, inquiries that have been done in relation to the Lamy report. You know, it, it, when it comes to the organisation, we have had report after report after report, where it's basically said that we have been institutionally racist. It needs to stop. It needs to stop and things need to change because what is the point of having all these um, inquiries yeah. when nothing changes? There is no point. There, there is no point. You know? Stop the inquiries. That's what it's about. It's about making sure it's not just about being a white Anglo-Saxon male. It's about being whoever you are being on an equal footing. Females, everybody 
because that that there traditionally where it was where the power base was if you're white anglo-saxon male that's where the power base was even women didn't have a power base completely underrepresented patted on the head you know don't worry love we'll, we'll, we'll look after this uh, no that that's derogatory and it's unacceptable everybody's equal yeah so that that's what it was about for me having people around me that would give me those actually well you're overreacting or no that's wrong you need to challenge that uh, and being honest with me yeah so quite quickly that that resilience in you again that thing comes out um resilience that you're able to to kind of deal with those situations um, even though you you know you said you're breaking out in cold sweats you was able to look at quickly at your coping mechanism which was sports um, and look at reason why these things happen at any point did you feel um, like say I would say would you at any point during your time in the police force have you ever felt not, not afraid but um, a bit worried that if I speak out something i'm going to lose my job or something's going to happen you know was there any other time where you thought oh you know i'm going to speak out but maybe i'm not i won't do it um i'll just hold back yeah it wasn't it, yeah i mean I, I, it was more um as i said earlier about having losing my position because my position was um at the time i was in charge of training for the northamptonshire and leicestershire yeah. and when I there was there was a there was a point where um, one of the individuals that was in Northamptonshire had taken out a, um, a a civil litigation against the force, and everything that I'd done before um, had been supported. Yeah. And then it just got to the point where, because of the behaviours of individuals in that force, and, and one of the another example was I walked into a class to observe one of my trainers just delivering training and somebody that was in there called me uh, <laughs> a big effing monkey wow. and luckily the, the the detective sergeant that was sat next to her was like that's that's unacceptable so he reported it and it went to a gross misconduct hearing at which he lied and said i didn't call him that i called him a tall a tall rude bugger and the reason I said that was because he walked past me at headquarters and didn't say hello. Well, I'd never met this person. I'd never even seen them in my life. Yeah. But the thing for me was, it just got to the point where I just thought, you know what? Is it even worth staying with the job anymore? But these are my colleagues. These are people that wear the same uniform as me that are treating me in that way. Yeah. And I'll always remember Steph Pandit, he's a retired superintendent. I sat in his office, I was really teary, really upset. Um, and he just said, stay there for five minutes. So he went out, gave me five minutes, he came back in and he just said, look, I've just spoken to the, I've just spoken to the chief, I've just spoken to the deputy chief, constable. I told him what's going on. Just, just take some time just to think about where you're at and where your home is. And he says, this is your own force. These are the people that look after you. You know, Northamptonshire is not your home force. We are your home force mm. and we'll always support you. And that that was it. That, that, that sort of put things back into perspective for me. And then uh, a couple of days later, I was doing a, um, a knife crime initiative video with Anthony Joshua. Yeah. And 
uh, BBC Midlands crew had come to interview me. And whilst I was downstairs, the whole senior management, the top corridor, came walking past me and they just looked at me and went, we've heard about what's happened in Northamptonshire, it's a disgrace. One after another after another. And that's what gave me that, that strength, gave me that, you know, I just went, if they're behind me, I, I'm, I'm fine. And that was it. Yeah. So that's the only time I, I honestly felt like walking away. Yeah, and you didn't, and and obviously you're you, you now you know, you're an inspiration for us. I know we, and uh, you know, I don't know how much time we got because we can always do do another one because I'm really interested. Yeah. In this. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. So if you want to, if you want to go, if you want to keep going for like 10, 15 minutes, it's up to you. Um, yeah, I've got another 10 minutes. I okay. Because I've got another, yeah, I've got no, another meeting. Yeah, no worries, because we can do this again, because I'm really interested in more and hearing more and about your other stories. Um, so you, yeah. you've 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 come onto the police force, you, you've you've gone through all these things, you've gone through mentally, um, and what really broke you was, really, the re- not broke you, but it comes to a point where you, you was on the cusp of leaving, was is actually racism. Um, and that, I think that kind of sums up what's ha- what's been happening when talking about racism in the in the police force, and we've, we've now seen it with the in the movements that have come out in this past year um, in the in the uh, USA, um, and also yeah. in USA it's going to be a complete not complete in terms of how they operate, it's a completely different different kettle of, different kettle of fish. Um, yeah, so you're you've you've done all you've done all that you've you've kind of come through the other end. And you're now. How how have you how you what have you done? Thing how have you what things have you done to kind of get a message out there for black people to kind of get on board and and help? Is it schools? Yeah, so you spoke in schools. Have you done have you done talks? But what I did was I was I was asked to go to a school called Judge Meadow School. Um, Meadow, yeah. So there's a quite high population of um, Bayes kids that go to that school and there were a number of kids that were basically just misbehaving just general misbehaviour they weren't bad kids they were just misbehaving and just needed that guidance so I used to go there on the request of one of their teachers to 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 not mention them about consequence and I think I think that's the big thing with kids they don't understand consequence and it, I don't know whether it's because of their upbringing. I don't know if it's because of the things they watch, the things they do. Um, I don't know if it's because of a lot of the games they play. Um, but they just do not understand consequence. And it's trying to explain to them what consequence means, even at an early age. Being found with a knife at an early age, what that consequence can be. Um, you know, getting into fights at an early age, uh, being caught in possession of drugs, how that can affect them later when they go for employment. Um, you know, so I, I was doing a lot of that. Um, I regularly post on social media um, in relation to what I do because I'm proud of what I do. I can't, I can't get away from it. You know, I've enjoyed what I've done. Um, I, I'd like to think that there are other Mel Thompsons that that, that come behind me, follow me, um, you know, don't to go past me because that's that's what we should be doing. Um, just recently, in fact, I had a phone call about an hour ago. One of my colleagues who went for promotion is an acting inspector asked me to read his um, his application form for promotion. Yeah. And I went through it. I said, you won't pass with that. 
And he went, well, why? And I explained why. And even though he's an active inspector and I'm a sergeant, he still was willing to listen to what I said. He changed his form and he passed. So he's now going to be a full-time inspector. And it's really heartening, really heartens me because he's, he's, he's from Bain background. So this is what it's about. It's about encouraging and supporting everybody, but also increasing that representation where it needs to be. Because if we don't do that, then how, how, how can we make that change? How can we affect that change? How can we how can we change the landscape? It's about changing landscapes, you know? Yeah, so, you know, that's, that's what I've, I've aimed to do. That's what I've always aimed to do. That's what I do now. Just support and encourage, um, you know, people to just, just, just do the best they can. Yeah. I was going to say to you as well, you know, just before we finish up, is um, I was going to ask you before, because we've seen, we, we spoke about the other side, the racism side, and did you get any, after you, you've gone through these years, um, say the 10, 10 years or 15 years or however long, did you ever get any backlash or, or, or any positives from, the, from the, the black community? What was that like in terms of contrast? Yeah, it's quite interesting. The early years, you know, I, I used to get quite a bit of sort of um, verbal abuse, even when I go to some of the, um, you know, the, whether it was a, 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 an Antiguan association dance or party or whatever it was, you know, those kind of functions um, at some of the local neighbourhood centres. Um, but it's quite interesting because what I then did. Um, I used to work the carnival, but I still do. I, well, I, I did my last carnival last year, obviously because of COVID, it was cancelled this year. But I used to work the Leicester carnivals, and I worked them for well over twenty years. And as my qualifications increased in relation to being a public order tactical advisor, I was then involved in the organising of the parades and things like that. So I'd end up actually walking with the parade, or at the front of the parade, or actually involved in the parade. And that significantly changed how people looked at me and viewed me. And I always said, the reason I do this is because I want this, I want this actually bent to run well. You know, I want the carnival to run well. I don't want fighting in the park. I don't want people causing disorder and being unruly. That's not what carnival's about. And some people will say, carnival represents slavery. It re- represents emancipation. You know, for me, carnival's a celebration of everything, you know? And as I said, can't keep looking back. But what I said was, if that's what the carnival's there for, I want it to be a success. And that's why I I put a lot of effort and energy into making sure that it did go well. And that's what changed a lot of people's perceptions about me. Even down to now, you know, when I worked at the carnival last year, the amount of people that would meet me, embrace me, and you know, chat with me, follow me on social media now because because of my work with the carnival. So it's it's taken a long time, but it has happened, and I think people realise that Mel Thomas of 1991 is still the Mel Thomas of 2021. I've not changed. I'm still the same. I still walk with a bit of a a bit of a limp. A bit of swagger, yeah, a bit of attitude. <laughs> yeah. You know, the flat top hair's gone and the, 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 yeah. the dyed front piece of my, my, my fringe is gone. But I'm still the same person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's what's important. You just keep your core values, you never lose them. Yeah, and, the, and the, what they call the, 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 call it now the bad boy walk and, and, and the swag. 
Um, exactly. exactly. <laughs> so um, let's let's talk about some of the things that um, accolades that you've had over the years in, in in relation to the peace force. What sort of things have you been you've been kind of have been kind of thrust on you in, in terms of accolades? Big yourself. Yeah, well, big so, yourself up. So um, I suppose uh, I'm a, obviously I've, I've passed my sergeant's exam, so I'm a sergeant. I'm a officer safety instructor. I'm a taser instructor. Um, all those kind of things, but uh, a riot trained instructor as well. Um, I'm also what's called a public order, um, public safety advisor. So because of Hillsborough, because of what happened at Hillsborough, yeah, yeah. Um, we now have advisors on major events. So. I, I'm with the advisor, I'm one of the advisors. The senior officer will say to me, I think we should do this. I will say to that senior officer, well, yeah, I think that's a good idea. Or I'll say, no, we shouldn't do that. We both document it. And then if there's any inquiries after, we will then give reasons for why we gave that advice. He accepted that, that advice or she said, no, I'm not going to accept that advice. So those kind of qualifications have allowed me to go all over the country working events, including the Olympics, you know, including um, English Defence League marches, local derby football matches, you know, it's been, a, it's just been a great career and it's allowed, it's, it's taken me to places that probably no other job would, um, you know, representing the, the organisation boxing, it's taken me all over the world, boxing as well, so I, I, I've had a, I think I've had a pretty good time really, I've done alright. Yeah, I'm going to say two things. Um... One thing, what you, what if you could give a line, a line, and say a line to anybody that may be struggling with mental health, and also um, a, um, another line saying, just uh, for black men or black women or anybody that wants to to come into the police force or any of the forces, what would you say to them? So there's just two things here. Okay, so in relation to coming into the police service itself, um, and remember, the police service is the police service. It's not just being a police officer. There's so many other different um, departments that they can work in within yeah. the police service. So for me, stop looking at the past because you continuously look at the past, you will not see the opportunities that are in front of us. As a people, as a nation, as an organisation, we we want to move forward and we do. And I can only speak for Leicestershire. I know that Leicestershire Police want to move things forward, they want to progress, but we can only do it with the help of the community. And that's what the community, we're asking the community to do. Step up, step up, step forward, come in, educate them. I say educate them, educate the people that don't understand black people, that don't understand Asian people, that don't understand Islam, that don't understand um, Polish people, that don't understand Somalian, the Somalian community. Because until you do that, you are not going to change the narrative. So that's what I would say. Stop looking at the past, look in front of you, and look at what we can achieve, but we've got to do it together. In relation to the the, the other question you asked, in relation to mental health, it's very simple. You've just got to keep pushing, and you've got to keep pushing on, because you, you, you... Mental health is one of those things, it is, it's like the, 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 the old sort of um, narrative of having that thing, that stigma that's always there and it's there and it's, but only you can either push that stigma away or allow it to engulf you and you've got to, you don't allow it to consume you, you've got to find something that allows you to 
keep it at bay, always find a, a healthier way of controlling it. So my one-liner would be, keep pushing, keep pushing on, keep doing what you're doing. That's it. And thank you for coming on the, the podcast. Like I say, I'd like to get you back on again, definitely to speak about um, the things that has been happening this year and, and, and the movement and more towards what's happening with black people and how we can help the recruitment in other areas of our lives. So I definitely want you to come on because I think that would be a brilliant episode and, and, and very um, um, meaty. So yeah, thanks for coming on and thanks for taking time out of your day to come on the podcast. And I hope your words inspire others. You're always welcome. Just give me a shout when, when you're free again. Okay. Um, and I'm more than happy to put aside time and we'll, we'll have another chat, yeah? No worries. And that... All right, man. Oh, no. Take care. Speak to you.